0: The tree of life is Jesus. The tree of life is, um, is knowing Jesus, and walking with Jesus, and talking with Jesus, and being filled by Jesus' spirit, and doing life uh, with Jesus. I think that's what the tree of life is. He wants us to choose innocence, and He wants us to choose life, and He wants us to choose mercy, and He wants us to choose joy and he wants us to let him be God and we're just to be his people. And that sounds so stinking simple, and yet it's so hard. And here's the thing, when you get into the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and you eat of it, the problem is it doesn't kill you instantly. This poison goes inside of you and it begins to work slowly. God invites us into situations where things happen to us. Instead of getting into the knowledge of good and evil, God invites us to let those things go through Jesus. i will to tell you a story. Um, somebody a long time ago told me, when you want to impress people, tell them where you succeed, um, but if you want to impact them, tell them at times how you fail. I think it's true, because you can be awed by people's successes, but I think we all relate to the fact that sometimes we fail, we want to do things a particular way, and we don't always do that, and so that's where this story comes in, because we're going to talk about decision-making for the last message in the Tree of Life series. How about this? Most of the decisions you've made produce the life you're living right now. I'd say all, but I don't know if we're ready to accept that. So maybe by the end of the message, I'll, I'll get there. Um, went to the bank and was uh, cashing a check and getting some money back. This was, um, I don't know, within the last year, year and a half. And uh, when the teller gave me back the money through the drive-thru, they put it in an envelope. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Instead of just handing you cash, they put it inside of an envelope, also in there was my driver's license, and I had to produce a check card in order to get the check cashed. So it comes back through that little, um, what do you call that thing? Little zip line? Whatever. What what is it? Tube. There you go. Tube. It came back through the tube. The magic tube came back to me, reached up, took it out, and it's just the envelope. Um, And there's people behind me, and normally, you know, the right thing would have been to count it right then, but I just threw on the seat behind me and took off, went home. When I got home, grabbed the envelope. Opened it up real quick, pulled the license and the card out, put them back in my wallet, and noticed, man, that is a lot of cash in there. And I thought, man, did they give me a bunch of ones? So I looked through it, and it was all 20s, but it was 80 bucks more than what I had cashed a check for. What would you do? I went, thank you, Jesus. No, I did not. I did. i just be honest with you, okay? Just be honest with you. Nobody knew. So I'm in my house. It's not convenient to just go right back. And my first instinct was, nobody will know. But then that little thing started to eat away. Anybody else have that little thing? That little thing started to eat away. So um, maybe an hour had gone by, maybe a little more than that. <laughs> so maybe I had a longer argument with myself that I'm making it out to be right now. But I got in my car and I drove back. I went inside and I said, listen... Uh, your teller made a mistake, and they gave me more money than what I had cashed my check for, and I need to give this money back. And they looked at me strangely. They said, how much is it? I said, it's $80. And I handed it to her. She writes out a receipt, and she looks up, and she says, thanks, pastor. <laughs> you just never know when people are watching and who it is that's doing what in your life. And um, I just tell that story real quick because those decisions... Those are the things, man, that develop who we are in the life that we live and what people know about us. And decisions at the time, they seem so simple. They don't seem like they're going to um, be things that become publicly known. They don't seem like they're going to be things that, um, that change a destiny or that, uh, that produce in us a character or a realization of the life that we're living. But the truth of the matter is every decision you're making is doing that on a day-to-day basis. And because we don't reap them all instantly in the moment... For a long period of time, you think, hey, I can get away with what I'm doing. It doesn't matter. But the truth of the matter is every decision is leading to uh, a life that you're living. And that life ultimately is a character that you are every day experiencing. And sometimes we get to those places where we're just like, how did this happen to me? And we don't review our life and think to myself, uh, it's these decisions I've been making along the way. You know, if I were tonight to take the opportunity to grab the mic and just come down uh, at any of the campuses and just ask you to tell your story real quick. I don't know if you've ever noticed this about people, but once they have the chance to tell their story, most people, there's a few that will will do the opposite of what I'm about to say, but most people, regardless of how big their life story is, once you ask them to tell their story, they'll reduce it down to two or three sentences. So it doesn't matter how big... Their story is, it doesn't really matter what happened to them, if it was great, if it was difficult, whatever it is, if you ask them to tell about themselves, they'll reduce it down to a couple of sentences. Like uh, if I told about myself, hey, I'm John, was born in Louisiana, grew up mostly in Colorado, got married young, had five children, and uh, I'm a pastor of a church. That just convinced uh, or condensed 54 years into like three sentences yes or no. And that's how most people tell their story. When we're telling our story, for the most part, that's how we review our lives in those chunks of just two or three sentences, not realizing that there's so much that goes into the, dis- to the stories that we, that we made. No matter how big and complicated a story, at some point, it's nothing more than that. A story that we tell, and it's made up of those decisions that we make, and they're either good stories, listen to this, or they're bad stories. And the story that you tell is based on the decision that you're making right now. And life or death is in those decisions, Deuteronomy chapter 30 says these words, really powerful. I'll use it at the end again. But Joshua, before all of the people of God, after he's taken over from Moses, stands before them and says, I set before you today life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore what? Look at me real quick. Then it's in your decisions that life or death is found, yes or no. I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose. And he encourages us to choose life. Life and death is found in the decisions that you make. You know, as a pastor, I hear so many stories. And they're all based on decisions that people made. That at the time, here's the problem with making a decision. Yes or no? Um, No decision at the time that you make it is made in an emotional vacuum. That's the problem with our decisions. Our emotions get in the way when we make them at the time. It seems right. It feels good. You ever had a relationship that someone warned you about? Don't do that. But what did you say? I can handle it. Feels good. Uh, Maybe for a while it did. Maybe you were able to show the person off, and I don't know if there's anything wrong with that, but ultimately, how did it turn out? It's those decisions you look back on. How about this? Are there any decisions you made over your life you wish you could go back and undo? Of course, man. The problem with decisions is none of them are made in emotional vacuums. As a pastor, I hear so many stories. Uh, Just go back a few years, 2009, a financial crisis. I remember talking to a guy who told me a story. In 2009, he got himself leveraged. Uh, This is a familiar story quite actually. I heard this multiple times during those few years. He got himself leveraged out, was buying houses and uh, flipping them. And it was a market you could do that and make a lot of money. And uh, he got stretched out really, really far as it was going good. And the financial house collapsed on him and he couldn't sell the houses And he was in deeper than he should have been. And ultimately, it caused a bankruptcy. And through the bankruptcy, he began to drink. And through the drinking, he began to put pressure on his marriage, the way that he treated his wife and the way that he talked to her. And his wife couldn't take it anymore. She left him. When he tells the story, man, he condenses it into just a couple of things like this. It was a bad time. I made some bad mistakes. And one thing led to another, and my wife left me. But yes or no, it was little decisions all along the way that made a difference uh, I remember talking to a kid in prison. I say kid 19, 20. So maybe not a little kid, but he was a kid. His whole life was before him, and he was in prison. Uh, this was at Brush Correctional Institute, which is um, it's where the kids who have done the, ser- done the serious felonies end up at. This kid had done something that put him in for a number of years. And I was preaching, and in the middle of preaching... Um, I just hit this place where I realized, man, they're not listening to me. What can I say to get these guys to listen to me? So I just stopped, and I said, you know the difference between you and me? One guy yelled out, you're not in jail. Yes, that is true. That is the difference between the two of us. I said, here's why you got caught and I didn't. Got those guys all together with me real quick, and we laughed about it, and we joked about it. But he just told me this story that as a kid, he had a temper. And every time he'd given to his temper, it got a little bit worse, And it led to fighting, which led to an attempted murder charge. You know, both of those things could go the other way. In 2009, a person could have gotten leveraged, been in trouble financially. But instead of giving into what was going on, they dug into Jesus. Loved him, grew closer to him, and their marriage turned out to be the best marriage ever. And we can look back on that and say it was a mistake to live like that. But boy, we're stronger now than we ever have been. I can look back on my life. Um, Man, I had uh, four dads, three of them while I was growing up and a fourth one after I was married. People don't um, know that part of my story a lot. I don't talk about it much anymore. But the first one, when I was three, left our family, abandoned us. The second one was a great guy that adopted me but was killed in a car accident. Uh, The third one was an alcoholic who was uh, without mercy And then the fourth one ultimately uh, tried to poison my mom. What a story I could tell. Look at me real quick. All of the decisions I could have made along the way to have repeated that in our lives. But I was married one time, raised five kids, and never tried to poison my wife. Yay. How about about that right there? (laughs) All of our stories are reduced down to decisions, man. And when we tell them, we leave out all those decisions along the way. We put it into a couple of sentences, which makes people think that decisions don't matter. But they're so important. Two days before I got married. Um, this, this is not a story that has happened to me in my life. Uh, I can only think of two times I was ever propositioned. Um, but this was one of them. Uh, two days before Chris and I were, were getting uh, married, I had this job where I worked a night shift. And I, um, it was a food delivery service. And I had to go up to, like, the Evergreen area. And so I would leave Denver, go up to Evergreen, do my little route, and come back. But I would load the truck overnight, and then early in the morning go up and deliver it. And I'd be done by noon. It was a great system, other than the woman I was marrying worked from the time that I would get home till I would get up, and we never saw each other except for one day a week. I had gone to work and delivered food at this little, like, 7-Eleven-type place, and I had done this for a couple of years, but there was this new girl that worked there. She was kind of a strange girl. Um, one of those ones. Thank you for helping me out and leaving me up here by myself right now. They are there. They are uh, they're, they're out there. Um, she, she was flirtatious, and um, she had made it obvious, and I was doing everything I could to avoid this girl. Man, I'd I'd deliver the food. I'd get out of there as quick as I could. One day, she follows me out to my truck, and I tried to get in the truck and get away. She stood up on the floorboard, reached in, grabbed my head, and tried to pull me to her to kiss me. That's pretty forward. That's what I mean by one of those girls. Some of you are like, you lucky stiff. No, it was not. That is not what I'm saying. I pulled my head back, and I yelled at her, I'm getting married in two days. She let me go turned around and walked off, look at me real quick. What if I'd have given in to that? What if it would have made it easier from that point on to cheat on her? What if it would have opened up a situation that, for my children, you know, every decision from even your ancestors that have been made, you're living those life of those decisions. Decisions are just so critically important, man. They just mean everything. And so many times, we take our story and we boil it down to a couple of sentences and we don't realize that what got us where we are, good or bad, are the decisions that we made along the way. How about this? Bottom line, when you tell your story, you need to decide now, do you want to be able to tell a good story? Because the decisions you make today are gonna be the story you tell tomorrow. Uh, In the Bible, there's a character whose life, I think, is really interesting. In the Old Testament... Probably the top two or three that I like to teach about is Joseph. I think Joseph is a guy that just has a really interesting story, but his story boils down to decisions. He had people around him making really bad decisions, but he continued to make really good decisions, and God could use what he was doing in the midst of all the trouble in his life to get him where he needed to be. Now, Joseph, uh, Genesis 39 tells a main story about Joseph, and I thought, you know, it's 23 verses. I know that's a lot, but the story is so interesting. I thought I would read it to you, comment, and then I've got to fill in the blank. Three things about your story, so you'll want to get ready for that because I'll read this comment, and then I'll get you right there. And then for communion, I thought this weekend it might be interesting to review decisions that maybe we're making right now. Maybe for some people the opportunity to make a really good decision right now could happen for you. Maybe for some people you hear this and you realize, man, I need to back up from decisions that I've made. And maybe for some of us, it'll be the opportunity to help other people make right decisions. I heard a really cool saying from a church. They're there to help people make good decisions and live with less regrets. Wouldn't you like to do that in your life? Better decisions and less regrets. Joseph, uh, Story is in Genesis thirty nine. It's twenty three verses. I'll read it and comment as we go. Uh, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Okay, that part real quickly. Uh, Joseph hadn't lived in Egypt prior to this. Uh, Joseph was a youngest son, second youngest son. Um, he had a younger brother named Benjamin, but Joseph man was like a favored child. God was with him. Uh, The Bible says he was a very handsome guy. He was tall. He was intelligent. He was one of those guys who just simply had it all. Uh, He had older brothers. They were not quite as intelligent, not quite as well liked by their father. Uh, Whether they were as handsome or not, we don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But they did have this problem. They were very jealous of their younger brother. And no matter what sibling rivalry you've had, I bet your brothers never gathered around and asked these two questions, should we kill him or sell him? I bet that never happened to you. They might have said, should we beat him? Should we, should we tell mom and dad about him? But I bet they never decided, do we kill him or sell him? And that's the dilemma that Joseph had. His brothers had decided, we either sell him or we kill him. And the oldest one had decided, hey, I don't want to kill him. Let's, uh, let's, let's delay this decision to see if I can't call my brothers down. So um, Joseph's father... Uh, sent him. Abraham sent him to check on his brothers. You know, right away, you know that that's a problem. The younger checking on the older—that's never a good idea. Uh, Joseph is sent out to check on his brothers. His brothers are tending the sheep. Joseph comes walking up with his latest accoutrement, which is a coat of bright, many colors. He stands out. Like man, a wildflower amongst the desert. He walks up to them as a tattletale. And before he can say anything at all, they grab him, seize him, and they throw him in a a pit, a well, to hold him to decide what to do with him. They decide what they're going to do is sell him, uh, but they don't know how to tell the father. So they they decide to lie to the father. They're going to tell a lifelong lie. Every time for the rest of their lives that they talk about their brother, they're going to have to lie to their father. Some of the decisions we make make us lifelong liars. Because when we tell our story, in order to tell people our story, we can't tell the truth about it, yes or no. Never opt to be a lifelong liar. They take his coat, they dip it in the blood of an animal, and then they bring it back to their father and say, look, he was killed by wild animals. And can you imagine the grief that that father felt and what that father went through because of the decisions of his sons? The Bible says that at that same time, there were a group of traders coming down through their area and headed to Egypt. They pulled him up out of the pit and they sold him in slavery to these traders. And that's where we pick up the story. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there to Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Look at this real quick. Yes or no, that when you make the right decisions, God can still prosper you regardless of what somebody else has done. It's really important to remember The Lord was with him. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. In other words, he rose to the top. He decided, hey, you know what? Here's the deal. Joseph decided, I'm not going to be a victim. I'm going to see what happened to me as God himself has put me in this situation. So I'm going to become the best slave I can be. That's a hard thing to do, man. What a decision that is right there, not to get bitter, not to blame God, not to live the rest of your life like I'm a victim and this should have never happened to me. Deciding right then and there, I will see this as the very hand of God in my life and I will do the best that I can with what I've been given. God uses that in his life. Potiphar seized that on Joseph's life and put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything that he owned. Look at this, though. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the house of the Egyptian because of Joseph. God will bless people that don't know him because of the people who do. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Real quick, it's not in any note, just my thought. How would you like your life to be so simple that all you have to worry about is what you eat that day? How many of you are like me, and that's the last that you eat the worst stuff because you never think about what you have, everything else to worry about? Yeah, that's usually where I All right, now Joseph, look at this, was well-built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph, And she said, this is very plain, not my words, it's in the Bible, come to bed with me. But he refused. Joseph did this remarkable thing and he did it his whole life and he did it every time he was tempted and every time he was put in a situation and every time he had to make a crucial decision that was going to affect his life, he did these things two things that were really important. One, I think that he always thought about when I tell this story, what do I want my story to be? And then he would rehearse out loud his story so that people would listen to his story. He would actually tell his story over and over again. But he refused to go to bed with her and this is what he did. Out loud, he was said to her his story. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he is entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. Yes or no? That's probably not the best thing to say to her. Think about it. Nobody is greater in this house than I am. And my master has withheld nothing from me except what? And because you are his wife... How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Not even against Potiphar, but against God. Joseph realizes my decisions, man, my story. When I tell it, I want it to be a good story. And though she spoke to Joseph... Day after day, he refused to go to bed with her, or even to be with her. Now, let's put this in context, real quick. Two things, okay? So it says he's really tall, he's really good looking. Uh, this woman comes to him, and she begins to she gets eyes for him. She notices how good looking she, and he begins. She begins every day, come to bed with me. Come to all right. So, so two things. One, uh, in fairness, we do not know what this woman looked like. Okay, I'm gonna come over here because you didn't catch that. We read this story, and Hollywood has convinced us to imagine this woman to be a beautiful creature. Yes or no? Right? You say, you oh, she must have been. A, she might have been 100 years old. She might have not had any teeth. She might have been bald. So we, we have her breath. She might have said, come to bed with me. And he went, oh, how could I do such? A, we don't know. But let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Let's say that she was, I know, what a sexist pig. Okay, whatever. (laughs) I think that is exactly, you need to read that story and think about what's being said. So we don't know what she looked like, but but let's give the benefit of that. Let's say that she was beautiful. How about this right here? Um, I'll I'll tell you why I think this. I, I think this is her method of operation for every man that he brings in the house. And I'll tell you, I can't prove it But I'll just show you an example that I think will set this up uh, because of the way that when Potiphar finds out about what she has done, the way he treats Joseph leads me to believe that Joseph probably uh, was just another victim of this woman, and I'll, I'll show you what I mean. All right, one day, remember, every day she comes to him, sleep with me, she's, she's uh, trying to persuade him, she's trying to get him, and every time she does it, he just speaks out loud a story. Hey, listen, uh, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm an innocent man. My brothers did me wrong. I landed in prison. Your husband bought me, but God was with me. He raised me up. I'm over this house. I'm actually over you, whether you know it or not. And look at everything that God's doing because I'm here. And you want me to sleep with you? How can I? It will betray who I am. It'll mess up your life if I do it. What are you thinking? I can't do this and I'm not gonna sin again. So every time she comes to tempt him, he tells his story to remind himself I wanna tell a good story. Because look at me. What kind of story would it have been if his story was, you know, uh, God was with me, but she tempted me and I slept with her. And everything God did, hinged on my decision to sleep with this woman. And I ended up in a place in my life that I never intended to be. Because you're only going to tell one or two stories. And then here's the thought. If he did do that with her, he probably has to lie about it for the rest of his life, yes or no? When he gets his kids, I guarantee you he would have lied about it. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties. And none of the household servants was inside. That probably should have been a signal to him. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. Remember, this is her method of operation. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house just real quick. Uh, She got his cloak, but not his character. There's an important distinction between those two things. They can take everything else away from you. But if you have your character, you have everything you need you got what you're supposed to be. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand, in other words, when she saw again that he had spurned her, that he had rejected her, that he had turned her away, she's a woman scorned. He had run out of the house. She called her household servants. She had had enough of it. And she said, look, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. I cried rape. I'm, I'm telling you, he's trying to abuse me. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and he ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Potiphar came home. She kept it there so she could tell her story. Then she told him this what? The story. You only tell one of two stories, a good one or a bad one. That Hebrew slave you brought to us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and he ran out of the house. When his master heard the story his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, me, he burned with anger. Don't go to the next scripture. Look at me real quick. Most of us read that, that he's mad at Joseph. But the Bible doesn't say that, does it? It just says that he burned with anger, and then here's his response. Okay, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Real quick, look at me. This is not the normal prison. This is the high-end prison. And this is important. Potiphar had absolute control over Joseph and could have put him to death at any time that he wanted to. No questions asked. And the reason he doesn't put him to death, in my mind, is that she has done this time and time again with the servants he's brought in. He knows what she is. He knows that Joseph's not guilty, but he can't do anything about it. So he puts him in the best place he can put him. Did you ever think about that before? That's that's pretty good, man. Joseph's master took him, put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. So this is the country club prison. Now it's Egypt, 3,000 years ago, so I don't think it was nice. But it was better than what a slave would have been treated. While Joseph was there in the prison, uh, the Lord was what? With him again. No matter what happened to him, as long as he kept making the right decisions, God could bless his life. No matter where he ended up, no matter what other people did to him, God was able to use him. God was able to bless him. God was able to move him forward and promote him because Joseph kept making the right decisions. The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness, granted him favor in the eyes now of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention (laughs) Does this sound familiar? To anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. The rest of the story goes like this. That two of the prisoners in the prison used to serve Pharaoh. They both have dreams. Joseph has the gift of interpreting dreams. Uh, they both tell Joseph his dream. He says to one, hey, it's bad news for you. You're going to be hung in a few days. That is not the interpretation you want if you ever have a dream. But the other one he tells him, "Here's what's going to happen to you. Pharaoh's going to remember you, call you back to duty, and when you stand before Pharaoh, don't forget to tell him about me." And sure enough, those two things happen. One is hung, and the other was promoted right back into being the butler of Pharaoh, the cupbearer. And when he hands Pharaoh the cup one time, Pharaohs had a bad dream overnight: seven fat cows, seven skinny cows. Seven uh, grains of, of, uh, of wheat that are really, really robust and abundant. And seven really terrible looking droughty ones that are, that are horrible. And he wakes up and he knows he's had a dream from God, but he has no idea what it means. And he's asking all of his magicians in Egypt, tell me what my dream is. But he puts this caveat on it. If you really know how to tell a dream, not only interpret my dream, but tell me what my dream was. That puts a little spin on it. And they couldn't tell him. Pharaoh was gonna put him to death. And all of a sudden, the butler remembered the guy he was in prison with that predicted that he'd be back in that position with Pharaoh. So he tells Pharaoh, hey, I know a guy that can tell you exactly what this means. So they said that, uh, the Bible says they went and they got Joseph and they cleaned him up and they shaved him real quick and they dressed him really nice and they put him in front of Pharaoh and uh, he tells Pharaoh what his dream was. He interprets the dream for him. It's gonna be a famine, uh, an incredible seven years of abundance and then the worst seven years of a famine and, and he says, here's what you should do. Store up all the grain during the seven good years so that during the seven bad years you'll have grain to sell to everybody. You'll be the richest man that ever lived. It'll be the most fantastic thing. Pharaoh realizes, man, this, this guy is special and he promotes him on the spot to the second highest, most powerful person in the most powerful nation on the face of the earth at that time. How does a story like that even happen? And even if you go, I don't know if it's even true. So I think it's true, and I think it tells the story that when you make the right decisions, God can do with you. No, no man can do what God can do for you. In a moment of favor, you're promoted from a prison to the palace. And then from the palace to the pinnacle, what a powerful thing that is! But do you know when Joseph stood before the Pharaoh, and Pharaoh asked him who he is, he tells a story: "I'm an innocent man. I'm not supposed to be here. My brother sold me into slavery. Potiphar did this to me. His wife, uh, she ended up. But the guys and I told the truth, and here I am. I'm a good guy." And he just keeps telling his story over and over and over again. Joseph has to make a really big decision at multiple times in his life, not to be a victim but to decide to see everything that's going on as the hand of God and that he's going to make the right decisions. All right, let me give you these three things that are really important when you make decisions. These are three things that you just have to remember. The problem with decisions is that they're never made in an emotional vacuum. So you've got to do things right now that help you make the right decisions. And if you're in here, I would just say this, if you listen this weekend, no matter who you are, where you are in life, you don't even have to be a believer. You can be a person who thinks this is all, I made no decision about this, in fact, maybe I'm leaning that I don't even believe any of this, but this is still true. You'll know it's true when I say it, that even if you believe in God or if you don't, when you make good decisions, you have a good life. And bad decisions bring a bad life because life and death is found in the decisions that you make. So let me give you these three things. You've got a pen or a pencil or you're using the online version of the notes. You can write it in that way. Here's the first one. What story do you want to tell? You have to think about that. Life doesn't just happen. You don't just end up someplace. Ten years ago at our 10th anniversary, I taught a series called The Power of 10. And the, the most obvious statement I could make was that 10 years from now, we're all going to be someplace. Where do you want to be? Because for most people, we just let life happen to us. And we just think, I'll end up someplace. Where do you want to end? What's your preferred future? Because you've got to make decisions to get there. You've got to make the right decisions. You've got to think in terms of how you want things to turn out. When we had children... (laughs) My goodness, man, my background, the easiest thing to do would have been to put it on cruise control and just to let life happen. But I can tell you what would have happened. I would have gone the easiest, like water seeks his own level. The example put before me would have been the mistakes that I would have made. I would have abused alcohol. I would have abused my wife. I would have abused my children. And the funny thing is, their story now is only going to be one of two stories. It's either going to be based on the decisions that I made then, That were bad or the ones I made good. And here we are today. I thought about where I wanted my children to be in 20 years. What story I wanted them to... I didn't want them to tell the story of a broken home. So that meant I had to work it out with her no matter what. (laughs) Yes or no. Some people just think, you just got lucky and married a sweet woman. That is true. I did get very lucky. And I did marry a very sweet woman. But I can tell you, she's not 24-7 sweet. And she's not here this weekend. So I'm gonna tell you the truth about her real quick. Dude, I have paid a price. 35 years, I have paid a price. I would have been much taller than I am right now if it had gone another direction. <laughs> I thought literally, knowing my children and listening to this message and telling that I rehearsed my story in front of them dozens of times. I told this was my story, but it's not your story. And so I made decisions. I will not do the things that I saw happen to me. You will have a different story to tell. Now, I don't know what decisions you'll make in your life. And you may decide to do things that I don't think are right things, but you will not look back and say, My dad did this. In a negative sense, you will say, My dad was there, and my dad loved me, and my dad showed up, and my dad did not abuse. And I made those decisions. Does that make any sense? I was not lucky in that sense. It was not a good woman in that sense. It was not an easy road in that sense. It was decisions. Where are we going to end up at? And if you think, that's an arrogant thing to say. I don't mean it that way. And I'm condensing into a couple of sentences a 30-year story. There were little decisions all along the way. And I had to decide right then what story Do I want to tell? I didn't want to tell a broken home story. I realize when I say that that there are people in this room that you didn't choose. Somebody else chose. That's the problem, isn't it? In a marriage, that you can be at that place where you're choosing every day the right thing, and then somebody else decides in a day, I'm not going to choose that anymore. Nothing that can be. There's nothing that can be done. You live with another person's decision, but you still have to make decisions. Will you be bitter? Will that be the thing that defines you? Will you just talk about that thing in such a negative way? Will will that be the thing that happened to you that's the get-off point for your life? I was going well to this person. Joseph could have said that. I was doing great to my brothers. I was doing great to Potiphar's wife. I was doing great. All those things are decisions. You've got to decide, man. What story do you want to tell? Here's the second one. And I mentioned it earlier, but I'll just throw it back in here. It's so important. Never choose to be a lifelong liar. Uh, so let me, let me, God, this, this one, I thought about this. So the problem with saying lifelong is that some of us in this room, many of us, half of us, a third of us, I don't know what the number is. Two thirds, I'm not sure. Many of us have lived a lot of our lives already. That's a good way to say that, right? That's like the alternative is, many of you are (laughs) middle-aged. Which one did you like? Yes, many of you have, you know, made many decisions already. Um, Maybe this is for then people who are younger to hear how important this is. When you're younger, you're making decisions that are going to cause you to opt in to be a lifelong liar. Man, when you tell your story the decisions that you make, those things that seem so important at the time that, God, I I just, it feels good. I don't care what people think. I'm just gonna do this. I don't care about the future. You don't realize that those decisions you're making when you tell your story for the rest of your life, you're opting to be a lifelong liar. Never opt to be a liar. Never opt to be a liar. Always think now when I tell the story, I wanna tell, even if it's a bad story, tell how God turned it around then. Tell what God did to make it a good story. Choose, Man, choosing to be a lifelong... Never, never, never do that. Here's a third one. And just think about this, because this is the truth. Even in what I taught right now, how I'm preaching, think about this. Your story ultimately becomes your children's story. When I teach this story, I even pick up on my parents' choices to tell my story, yes or no. And at some point, look at me real quick the decisions you're making right now, if you opt to have children, your story will be your kid's story someday. Your children will tell your story and they will tell it without hesitation. They will tell the decisions that you made, the things you opted for, the way the marriage was, why they feel the way that they feel, why they decided not to do certain things or why they decided to do certain things. It'll be your story. And at some point, we never think about the fact that our story becomes our kid's story too. And I want when my kids tell the story to be able to tell the story of, man, my dad had these odds in his life. And he had a lot of shortcomings. Pun intended. Yeah, I just thought about that. It was not intentional. All of my kids, my boys always tell me, oh, if you'd only been taller, dad, we'd be taller. I... Sorry, son. <laughs> I... Your story, man, becomes your children's story. And what they tell is based on your decisions. And I just, I I think it's so important that, man, when you're in that place in life, because so much time is spent raising kids and doing that thing, think about the story that you want to have them tell. Here's the conclusion. Deuteronomy 30, 19. I started with it right here. It's Joshua again with Israel. He's in a leadership position, and he exercises his authority to tell them the most critical thing he can tell them. This day... I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now, there's the word again, choose life. And then look at this part, so that you and who, your story and your choices become the life that your children will have too. And you never think about that and some of the life that you have right now is the choices that your mom and dad made or your grandma and grandpa made. Maybe the choice to be a solid person and to just be in one place and to not leave and not... Think of the difference that it made in your life. Some of you, if I asked you your story, you would tell me the story of your parents drinking. Think about it. You tell your parents' story. It's part of your story. So what story do you want your kids to tell? All right, man, I know it's a heavy-duty message. But maybe in the tree of life scheme of things, that there are two trees, life and death, that tree of life is Jesus and making our decisions through Jesus versus just through the knowledge of good and evil, being our own God, deciding for ourselves what's right and wrong, what I want to do, what I think it should be like, but instead going to Jesus and saying, God, you help me. I want to make the right decision. How critical that is. As we take communion this weekend, I think that's the thing to just be thinking, God, what do you want to say to me with this, this, this message? What are you saying to my heart? What? What decisions am I making? What do I need to make? Maybe it's somebody you need to talk to. I don't know. But I'll just submit it to you and just let's just get before God real quick and pray and then we'll take communion and maybe we can use that as the solidify. How about this? Aren't you glad Jesus made the decisions he made? What if he had decided not to? What story would we tell today? We came close. We tell the story of what God did for us because Jesus made the right decisions. Even asking the Lord, if it's possible, take this away from me because this is a hard decision. Made the right decision. Jesus, love you. And Father, I just want to ask right now, God, help us. I know people hear this message. And um, God, in many ways, it, it could be a difficult message. People will hear the message through the lens and the filter of the decisions that they made. Um, those things aren't always positive. I get that. But, Father, we don't want to hide from this and run away from it. And, um, folks, your eyes are closed. Just listen to me, real quick. The worst lies that we ever tell are the lies we tell ourselves. The worst deception is self deception. The greatest effect a lie ever has is on yourself. You think it's on another person. It's not. It's what it makes you. It's who you become because of it. It's what you give up or what you choose. I think so many times um, something like this can feel so so difficult. Oh, I don't want to hear that. Oh, I don't want to deal with that. But man, I just bring you back to that scripture. I set before you today life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life so that you and yours will live. Maybe you just hear that right now. I don't think that the Holy Spirit wants to condemn you for bad choices. I think that God wants to encourage you, choose life then. And sometimes I realize our decisions can back us into such a corner that we're like, I don't know how to get out of it. Boy, that's where we need Jesus more than ever. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. God never gives up on us. Never sells us down the river. Never says, if only. He's always the God of right now. Right now, turn to me. Right now, call out to me. He never says, if only, you would have listened. If only, you would have made better decisions. God always says to us, right now. So what will you do with the right now? Maybe when we go to take communion, it's a time just to do business. Don't do, um, I'm going to steal something. Don't do karaoke communion. Don't go through the motions of someone else's. Do it yourself. Be present tense. Take communion not out of habit, And not because it's an institution, but because there's a living God who wants to fellowship and commune with you right now. Make a choice. Choose life. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to me.